0: Hey everyone, this is episode six of the Uncivilized podcast. Uh, Brady here, Art is also in as well. We're having a little bit different uh, video today. We're actually going to be doing an interview sort of discussion with the people from Warzone Distro, and I will let them introduce themselves. Hi,
1: I'm Happy.
2: <laughs> uh, I write under the name Baba Yaga, also they, them pronouns.
3: <clears throat> what up? This is Flower Bomb. I do not have a preferred
0: gender pronoun. Nice. So you guys just kind of want to hop right into it and kind of give us a little explanation of what you do?
3: Yeah. (laughs) I wrote up something earlier for y'all, but um, basically, I mean, the short of it is uh, we distribute literature uh, that covers individualist, anarchy, nihilism, green anarchy, anti-civ, vegan, animal liberation, earth liberation, radical sobriety uh yeah we've been covering a lot of that recently um yeah that's that's pretty much what Warzone is about
0: nice yeah we've actually read a little bit of your stuff and mentioned you guys on the podcast before um i know art wanted to mention the book fair that you guys are having so i'll let art do that
4: yeah just obviously it's not my project but coming up in may and like just just before we recorded they said they didn't have an exact date but sometime in may of this year uh, you guys are going to be hosting a the Green Scare Book Fair. If you guys want to talk about that,
3: yeah, the uh, the Green Scare Anarchist Book Fair was an idea that um, Baba and I had, and based on my personal experiences with a lot of book fairs that I've tabled in the past, and just book fairs, anarchist book fairs that I've like attended in general uh we both agreed that there was there's a lot of things about these book fairs that just kind of made them boring <laughs> and created a lot of drama and like seeing people get kicked out over you know what i personally consider some whack ass shit so we wanted to create a book fair that kind of like took on a different approach to how it would be run as well as uh what kind of topics would be centered with that book fair because I mean, we've been to a lot of book fairs and a lot of tablers have very similar literature. You know, most of it is just like, you know, leftist, you know, anarchist kind of stuff. Um, we wanted to have a book fair that focused on um, green anarchy, individualism, nihilism, and uh, vegan veganism, radical sobriety. And uh, we also introduced a concept with the first book fair, Uh, that we were really excited about called uh, the Dangerous Space Policy. And Baba Yaga is responsible for, you know, writing up the uh, blueprint to that. And essentially what that was is we wanted to get rid of all the safe space, you know, policies that were very identity-based, and we wanted to create anarchy within a book fair And we wanted to kind of push the envelope to see how people would interact with each other, knowing that there was nobody going to step in and like mediate problems and shit like that. There was no sort of like identity police that we're going to tell people what they can and can't do or say or whatever. Um, And even before the book fair, even when we first came up with this idea, we had people already hitting us up being like oh shit, you know, people are gonna kill each other in there, you know, like you you can't just have this, you know, like we need safe spaces. And I was like, you know, the thing about anarchy is we're talking about not having government, not having the state, but here you are complaining that there aren't any forms of authority even though they go under the guise of like anarchists or community, whatever the fuck, you know, these aren't gonna be here and here you are worried about that, like you need to re-examine your idea of anarchy. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically what the book fair was, and I mean a lot of people came out. More people came out than we expected, um, and yeah, there was a couple conflicts and shit, but people took care of it themselves. And
2: we shot each other.
3: And... Yeah, nobody shot each other or anything <laughs> crazy like that. As a matter of fact, Damn. people had a lot of a lot of fun. So
4: yeah, no, that's that's awesome.
2: How long has it been going on for now? This will be the second year.
4: Second year? That's good. Yeah. So do you think what? like what do you think do you think the dangerous space policy is the biggest division between you and other anarchist fairs, or do you think it's more ideological
2: probably a little bit of each
3: yeah. yeah yeah um i think that a lot of people are very like committed and influenced based on like identity politics in general and leftism i guess you could say specifically um and these are two things that we really wanted to kind of like ditch with this dangerous space policy. Um, you know, we're not people with dreads, like, we're not going to kick people out with dreads, you know, shit like that. Because that's another thing, too. A lot of book fairs are kicking people, white people out with dreads. And yeah. <laughs> I think. Wait, I so think you're
0: telling maybe. me that social anarchists ruin all the fun?
3: i mean it's not that
0: they
3: it's it's not that they ruin the fun they're just not fun to begin with
0: you know (laughs) i definitely agree with that i definitely agree with that so you're telling me that if i go to your book fair and i see someone with a punchable face i can just punch them and nobody's gonna stop me
2: they might stop you (laughs) yeah they can try i mean
3: that's the thing right like if, if we're talking, right, people, leftists like to talk about utopias and shit like that. If we're talking about a world without rules, without government, without the state, without, you know, policing and shit like that, there are going to be instances of conflict. And there's going to be probably even more instances where people aren't going to have the lynch mob of, like, the community or, you know, the internet community or whatever the fuck to back them up. So another thing that we really wanted to uh, introduce uh, with this book fair was the idea of individual empowerment. You know, like if, if you really needed, if you were really out on your own, you know, would you be able to fucking survive without having like the community police to back you up or like, you know, like all these things that you see on the internet, people like shame each other and like, you know, ban each other. Like what the fuck banning? Like, Where are people going to go? They're just going to go somewhere else, you know, like that doesn't really do a whole lot. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to encourage people to learn what it was like to confront conflict individually and just get an idea of what that was like for themselves, you know? So, yeah, I definitely
0: like that policy. Um, I never really thought of it like that. Um, I've been to a few anarchist sort of collective meetings and stuff like that. And I've never really thought about the whole policy of safe spaces and community policing. Whereas if you can't even trust the people that are showing up to your meetings, how are you gonna really show trust in each other if shit really does go down? So I definitely like yeah. that policy that you guys have introduced.
3: Yeah, exactly. I think I think it's just safe. I think it's safe. Like, you know, we wanna talk about like safe space as well. I think people can become safe spaces when they learn to harm themselves. And they learn to be able to handle situations on their own on -on one-on-one confrontation. I mean, it's cool and it's easier if you got like your crew or your affinity group of friends with you. But, you know, sometimes you don't have that. And I think that much of the anarchist material that we see in the world today, especially online, advocates so hard, you know, against individual empowerment and more about community empowerment. And I feel like that always leaves the individual vulnerable to that kind of groupthink mentality, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that's actually something that we hit on in our episode. I think it was number four or three, talking about why uh, we both personally uh, decided to leave leftist circles. And that was one of the things that we cited the most was uh, being against things and hating things, not knowing why, but just because it was socially acceptable to or socially...
3: uh, we are just demanded to, really. Exactly. Yeah, that kind of shit. That kind of, oh, well, this person said that, so I guess it's true, because then those people said that, you know, so it must be true. And it's like, no, fucking investigate this shit, you know, like, independently, you know?
2: Right, and especially somebody of an oppressed group said that, so I have to listen and I cannot question.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I, I've noticed that too, especially when it comes to, to sort of, I'm not a big fan of the word or the phrase identity politics, just because I feel like it carries so much baggage with it, and it's such, like, a buzz phrase, but, like, I feel like a lot of this, like, groupthink mentality around identity or identity politics is just garbage. Like, think how often, too, like, the debate between, like, different feminist circles, right? Like, TERFs, you know, they're fucking TERFs, I don't give a fuck if they think that's a shitty word to describe them with, but that's what they are, versus, like, gender... Like, TERFs consider, like... Gender nihilists, these absolute garbage people, and then different circles of trans people think gender nihilism is transphobic for reasons I don't really comprehend somehow because you're negating gender that negates their identity because they are so they have such a warped sense of identity that they have solely made. you know this sounds sort of like conservatard, but like they have made gender their identity because of how identity politics in the left works. You know what I mean? So, like, I that I feel like while I think identity is important to like analyze, especially in a world that is as complex and large as ours. But I think when we begin to like divide ourselves over these sorts of identities, that's when we start running into like bigger and bigger problems. And I think that's in my experience, and I'm probably in everyone's experience that like when this sort of div- division comes up, especially in like anarchist circles that you, like, lose the sense of, like, affinity between each other because it then just devolves into, like, petty arguments and bullshit. Yeah. yeah. And so, well, like, I don't consider myself anti-identity politics. I don't consider myself, like, pro-identity politics because I think it's so much more complex than, like, that, that sort of conversation. It requires so much more nuance than that, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I mean, something we discuss personally a lot is, you know, that the... How do I say the the analyses aren't necessarily wrong or you know not valuable or anything like that? We know we live in an unequal society, but you know that creating more or deepening the division and you know just trying to like reverse the division isn't isn't helpful in our mind.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's the key thing about it. Like I tell people this all the time because usually the knee-jerk reaction from leftists whenever I tell them that I'm against identity is that I have t- totally discarded, you know, the analysis that, like, industrial society works based on identity-based divisions. Like, that analysis is incredibly useful in understanding Um, not only how identity politics plays a role in reinforcing industrial capitalism, but most importantly, at least to me, how identity is a mental prison that defines us in terms of what society expects us to be, rather than allowing us as individuals to explore and to infinitely discover ourselves, you know, moment by moment. Like, I think that, You know, even though people might say like, oh, you know, flower bomb is black or POC or male or whatever or queer, whatever, like, sure, these like identity configurations are real in that they correspond to the pre-existing settlement. But the problem is these are precisely terminol you know, terminology and definition that are fixed in place. They can Mm -hmm. never fully represent me because I am never a static fixed being. I am always changing. I'm always evolving. And that doesn't mean that I'm like changing and abandoning my desire for freedom. That just means that um, these definitions do not and cannot ever summarize like the totality of individual uniqueness. And what happens is we see in society how people internalize and personalize these forms of identity politics, you know, male, woman, black, white, whatever, and they become so emotionally attached to them that when you say that you're against identity politics, it is almost as if they say or they interpret it as you are against them personally. But yes. but the reality is I'm not looking at them as an identity construct. I'm not looking at them as a man or a woman or as black or white. I'm looking at them as a complex individual being, and I'm allowing them all the opportunity in the world to communicate their unique experiences with me rather than making identity-based assumptions about who they are. Yeah,
4: and I think it's also good to say that, like, because I think this sort of, you know, this... Is it fine to call you post left, like to, to throw that label, even though we're talking about anti-identity politics? But like to say that this is sort of a like a post-left sort of take, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I I think it's important to bring up then that that this sort of post-left anti-identity politics is so radically different from like conservative anti-identity politics in which oh well, yeah in which conservatives are like well don't define yourself by identity but that only happens when you're queer, or you're not white, you know what I mean? And then it's like, theirs is extremely reactionary, while post left or whatever you want to call it, ident- anti identity politics is much more based in, as you say, seeing the larger picture of somebody, which I think is a very egoistic or ego, you know, sterner right way of thinking that you're always a, an evolving fluid person, which is something I've always sort of, you know, I agree with that. And so I think people are going to be like, Oh, you're anti-identity politics, so you invalidate the struggle of, like, marginalized groups, which, and not that I think that, but I hear that argument a lot, which that doesn't make any sense to me, that, like, Mm -hmm. choosing not to, like, define someone on the basis that they're, say, like, uh, African American, you know, black or, like, trans, that doesn't invalidate them, you're just not defining them solely by those characteristics.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the most troubling things that I experienced as a POC anarchist or whatever is that there is always this this, uh, subtle assumption that when somebody says, like you said, for example, you know, oh, I'm against identity politics. Oh, well, you're trivializing the experiences of POC. Well, actually, not all POC have the same experiences, like they might experience a form of like institutionalized racism but they might also benefit from like class privilege or whatever and i don't i actually don't like to use like privilege politics analyses to like describe people as well because i feel like that also trivializes all the suffering that they've encountered just existing in this nightmare called civilization but also That's the thing like you cannot go to a black community and assume that everybody feels the same. I know that because I tried to organize my black community or my POC community. And I had some people that were down with what, you know, I was talking about liberation and shit. And then I had a lot of people that were like, no, I'm trying to get paid. Like I'm trying to get paid. I'm trying to get rich. I'm trying to be that person. I'm trying to be Trump, you know, and this was before Trump became president. But like these these people exist like there there is no like monolithic group, you know, but there's always the assumption of monolithic groups of people because of identity politics. And that's why I think that identity politics is as good as providing providing an analysis of how society wants to work. But it's limited because it doesn't actually reflect the real life experiences of a lot of individual people you know yeah you know i i totally agree and i
4: know what you're coming from and i hold the position similar to that i guess in my own way and it's funny because you know when people talk about identity politics and then the idea of you know since we all sort of share this anti-civilization idea or ideology whatever you want to call it how often leftists will sort of like take your identity into a negative direction and essentially become reactionary. So, for example, I've talked about this several times on this podcast, is how often I get called a self-hating tranny or, like, self-hating, like, disabled person on the basis that I'm, like, a primmy or an anti sever whatever by leftists because their identity politics is so prone to reactionary conclusions that it's fucking ridiculous. Because now they're not seeing you as a person with ideas. They're trying to define you solely on, like, one aspect of your identity that they attack you on because they're like yeah. no i'm not i'm not transphobic you're transphobic and it's like <laughs> no sorry calling me a tranny is <laughs> that makes you transphobic chief i don't yeah, know and there's, this... a, there's another good example of it with one of our friends
0: uh, akimba where he was trying to explain uh, some anti-civ ideas to like uh like a black separatist maoist and the uh, the maoist called him a half-breed and didn't want to listen to his arguments so I always, think it's, I always think it's really, really interesting uh, from my perspective, being the dangerous cishet white man. That's why I've been so quiet in this conversation because I have no part in this, but I always think it's funny to see the responses that you get from people who project themselves as uh, the sort of vanguard protectors of oppressed peoples mm-hmm. when it comes to dealing with those oppressed peoples that don't follow their dogmatic line of thinking.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: Falls apart real quick.
3: Exactly, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's I always think it's so fascinating whenever people make assumptions about me and then they try to use me against somebody that I'm, you know, friends with or like sometimes, you know, um my partner in crime here Baba like, "Oh yeah, you know, your your partner's got dreads and shit like that." And it's like, "I don't give a fuck." Like that's the thing. <laughs> like I do not subscribe to the stereotype of what people expect quote POC or black people to uh, to react or to have, you know? And because of that, there's like POC or black, you know, anarchists or liberals or whatever the fuck out there who will be like, oh, well it's because you're half white or you're not really black or you didn't really grow up in the hood because they're they just cannot accept the fact that there is variety in nature that you can't just force everybody into these neat, orderly, categorical boxes. They cannot accept that there is chaos in order, like in this attempt at order with society that is going to break through and bleed through, you know? And Mm -hmm. so their only response to that is, oh, well, you must not be black, or you must be a fake Mexican, or, you know, you must not really be trans, something to that effect, you know? Mm
4: Yeah, and this sort of what you you know, I like the the way you put it like monolithic, mm-hmm. that these identity politics are necessarily anti-individualistic as well because you're reducing someone to this because I this is an issue I always have with like larger ideologies or ways of thinking that they try to categorize the world very neatly and it just doesn't work that way. Because mm-hmm. How fluid nature is, and this probably is kind of a postmodernist sort of take, whatever, that I think that, like because the human perception is so limited and then every culture analyzes reality differently, that like when we try yes. to categorize things, you know whether it's identity politics, class, uh, you know, ec- larger economic functions, that to think that we are that this is the most effective way is by Mm -hmm. this sort of strict categorization. And I think that has dangerous or very limiting conclusions, you know what I mean? And that I think this sort of, what you're describing as anti-identity politics is a much more individualistic and realistic way to approach what is oppression, you know what I mean? Even myself, you know, people might disagree, but they're probably fucking wrong anyways.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely
4: agree. Like, that's one of the things that I've always
0: been very confused about with sort of the leftist perspective is, I think that the chaos and the individuality is one of the more, or if not the most beautiful things about the human experience is how different people can be, and in expressing themselves and who they are personally. So I've never really understood why leftists have tried so hard, while claiming to be for those types of people by then, just wholesale rejecting them for actually expressing themselves how they want to.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that. Totally. Another thing I want to talk about, cause
4: we're at like 23 minutes and I really don't care how long this goes, but we've been on, like, we've been on identity politics for a bit. And I think we're starting to like do a, a little bit of repetition. So I'm kind of sure. move on a bit. So one thing I'm thinking about is uh, I'm kind of curious about, you. you know, you folks behind Warzone is, I'm sort of curious how, because you talked about the origins of the Green Scare, uh, book fair, but I'm wondering, I'm really curious about the origins of Warzone, maybe how all of you, you know, came to meet each other, you know, that sort of biography, I suppose, that history.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, so once upon a time, there was, uh, this collective, um, in a Northwest suburb of Chicago, And the collective was called the Feral Space. Uh, The Feral Space was a green, anarchist, vegan, straight-edge collective that um, our main goal was to organize the community. You know, we were there to provide resources. Uh, We were there to, you know, take aim and, you know, do a few actions at the local state. Um, You know, just kind of disrupt things out there and uh, we had a, um, uh, it was called the Black Flag Sobriety Program, which was um, basically our version of AA, but without any of the authoritarianism or religion or anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And basically it was just like a radical space, um, our place for anybody in the city or anybody in our hood that was struggling with intoxication. Who wanted to like come out, hang out with us, do some radical shit, drop some banners, you know, fucking distribute zines, whatever they wanted to do, the space was there. Some people came over and just crashed on the couch until they sobered the fuck up and felt better and left, you know, so we had that going on. We did um, a couple really, really free markets, did food, not bombs, um, distributed literature uh, did uh, July 31st, Day of Action Against Racism and Fascism events. We were pretty busy and active out there. Um, and during all of that, um, I uh, I also started up Warzone Distro. And I started that because living where I was, um, you know, there weren't, a, I mean, there was virtually no places in the hood where you could find radical literature. You know, like the most radical shit you could find was like veterans for peace or some shit like that, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it's fucking. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty much shit out there. So I wanted, I wanted to have literature because I knew that, you know, I wish that I would have had access to anarchist literature you know, long before I finally did. So I wanted to create a distro in my hometown and provide that opportunity for people living in my apartment building and also just kind of living in the hood in general.
2: But at the time, you guys were still pretty leftist-based, you know, it's Feral Space was. And you can still kind of see that in some of the older Warzone stuff, That it's-
3: Yeah, definitely. Because my uh, my personal exposure to anarchism, was through leftists like not gonna lie like the first anarchists that i met were jeremy and jason hammond and like you know Southside ara folks in chicago and they were the ones that kind of took me in and were just like yeah you know like this is the kind of shit we got going on out here and i was like damn this is tight i want to do this shit out in my hometown you know and that way we can coordinate and network and you know maybe even coordinate actions and shit together So, yeah, we were, you know, we were kind of leftist. We were anti-civ on the basis that we were vegan, we were animal liberation. We realized, you know, how, like, civilization was fucking everything up. But we did operate uh, within identity politics at the time. Um, we, We didn't care who we were working with. It's not like we were hostile to white folks or cis men or whatever the fuck. We worked with anybody that was down with what we were about. But we did make a big deal out of, like, black and brown unity, black and brown veganism, black and brown sobriety, uh, things like that. Um, So we had that going on for a while. And so, therefore, a lot of the zines with Warzone Distro originally came out were very identity politics. Um, And then I started started changing things up a little bit because I started noticing that there was – a lot of poc that were kind of coming at me like veganism's a white thing straight edge is a white thing like there was all these identity-based assumptions that were being made about the way that i felt in my experience so i started putting out zines and started writing and talking more about intoxication culture and how it was fucking up the hoods and how the state preyed on the hoods because of things like intoxication culture and also just, like, veganism and animal liberation, speciesism, and how, like, the way that food is um, distributed and just eating habits in the hood were just so plagued by, like, fast food restaurant and shit like that. Um, one of the first pieces that I ever wrote um, was actually a pretty, pretty leftist but pretty, uh, pretty decent-sized critique of soul food. Um, and just, <laughs> and just, <laughs> yeah, no, y'all haven't seen it. Cause it's, it's way back, but, um, yeah, that one, I put that one out because it was just a critique of how, like, um, the way that POC have been eating in the hood for years and years have contributed to all these like debilitating diseases and shit like that. So that was kind of where my veganism was coming from alongside, of course, you know, being anti-speciesist, um, so those were like the origins of Warzone Distro. And then working up from there, the Feral Space eventually uh, collapsed. Um, everybody just kind of went their own way, did their own thing. Um, I ended up moving out to Wisconsin, uh, meeting my partner in crime, Baba Yaga. Ended up meeting Happy. Well,
1: I met you at Feral So we met at Feral Space, and Feral Space was still a thing, because I was riding trains, and I happened to get off in Chicago. And this is back when I was still actively using Tumblr. And I posted on Tumblr that I was in Chicago. And someone from Federal Space was like, come over. And so then I did.
3: Yeah, 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 that's right. (laughs) Yeah, because you came over. And I was like, damn, you should stay here. You should help us with some shit. Yeah, and I hung
1: out for a little while. Then I
3: caught out and I went somewhere else. Yeah. So that's that's how me and Happy met. Um, And then uh, I met Baba Yaga. And uh, Baba Yaga was an identity politician at the time.
2: Yeah, hold on, like liberal, you know, yeah, progressive.
3: Yeah. And y'all can ask them questions about that in a bit. But yeah, basically, though, Warzone Distro is still here. Uh, so eventually, as I personally started realizing that leftism had nothing at all to offer me, you know, as far as, like, liberation and shit, I started exploring more, like, individualist nihilist texts, uh, specifically Renzo Novatore, um, Feral Fawn, you know, people like that. Um, And also just kind of building, based on my own experiences with leftism, that it always neglected the individual, and I felt like um, individual enslavement to groupthink and to the collectivism of capitalism and society were things that were always left out of, like, leftist um, analysis of capitalism. So I wanted to then start um, putting together zines um, and, like, distributing those more because I saw that there was just hardly any of that um, at many of the book fairs I went to. And then I personally started writing about my own experiences with these things because shit, people said they related to it. And so I said, all right, fuck it. I'll keep writing, you know? Yeah, Yeah. no, definitely. That's awesome.
4: Yeah, that's a really cool. I really like the history of that, where where it grew out of and your personal experience and like what it meant to you and those that built it. I really like that because one thing I've noticed is that like a lot of these, typically this is more leftist. um. Uh, anarchist, you know, co- you know, distros or collectives are really born out of like armchair thinking, especially like this like upper bougie white mm. whiteness. You know what I mean? How often oh, yeah, they, how, how often that comes through in the text. But then with Warzone, it's a very gritty, realistic like you can see where the origins sort of are, even though they lay in leftism, like how it's developed. Like I can mm-hmm. see that when when I, you know, when
3: I read uh, you guys' stuff. So yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if some of these people that I, that I first met, you know, when I first got into anarchy, if some of them had like some nihilist individualist shit, I would have picked that up too and and read it. But like I said, I just wasn't exposed to that kind of, uh, literature. I wasn't exposed to those ideas until very, very later on. Like, you know, leftism, like, literally dominated, like, my understanding of what anarchism was, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I definitely get that. That's sort of um, how I started as well. um, In the anti-fascist scene up in Minneapolis, was uh, me showing up just being some sort of, like, progressive, like, civ computer guy, and showing up and seeing that, hey, there were other people, other than like socialist alternative and bland marxist types seeing the social anarchists going out at rallies and fucking shit up i was like hey i want to hang out with these guys <laughs> and then uh, it, it took me a few years of doing that until i bumped into art uh called art and ableist on the internet and here we are today
3: <laughs> <laughs> damn <laughs>
4: Yeah, when I met Brady, he was talking about, dude, the way we're going to organize societies is syndicates, and we're (laughs) going to manage production, you know, and it's going to be anarcho-communism, and I basically took two months of diffusing this sort of primitivism and egoism into his mind, and I brainwashed him into it, is really what happened.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, I was pretty far down the Kropotkin hole, not going to (laughs) lie.
4: Then yeah, he I got screwed by out. lady at work, and then he became an egoist, and that started yes.
0: the journey.
2: <laughs> Some <laughs> old white bitch
0: made me hate
4: people.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: I was just gonna say, I think I definitely think I threw out the word manarchist when I first met the Lauerbaum.
3: Oh. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> okay.
2: So
4: manarchist, uh, brocialist. Okay, yeah. but to be fair, a lot of those people exist. Let's like, just the the cringiness behind the name aside how many like brochalists and those type of people do exist and it's like dude i just want to punch you in the fucking throat
2: <laughs> just but, read Lenin, you know man. i just read Lenin. <laughs> the way it was presented to me was basically just like well the only people who are anarchists are white men so oh I got you. <laughs> i yeah. mean in my
0: experience up in minneapolis that's basically what it was there was a few different uh, a few different groups of uh like POC, anarchist affinity groups, collectives, and shit like that, trying to break it down. But it was just mainly your average white kid with pink hair running around right. with a big <laughs> ANCOM flag on a stick and getting arrested for stupid shit. <laughs>
3: yeah. The first time I ever heard uh, Manarchist was um, we had just finished like marching. And uh, th- I think this was like my first May Day, actually. And we were sitting down and I was just like, yeah that was cool. you know, we were all in the streets, you know, the cops wanted us on the sidewalk, but we didn't. And at the time this was uh, this is this was when <laughs> this was when uh, me and Jeremy Hammond and uh, his brother had first met, and uh, we had these shields, you know, if you look hard enough on the internet, you can find us the two thousand eleven uh, Mayday Chicago uh, where we got these black and red shields. There's a picture of us all masked up. And uh, they gave me the shield and they were like, yeah, you're going to need this. And I was like, hell yeah, let's fucking get down with these motherfuckers. <laughs> and the cops were like, get off, the, get off the street, get on the sidewalk. And we we're like, no, fuck y'all. And eventually they just let us have the street. And I was like, all right, cool. We in the street. What do we do now? And then we just walked around all day yelling shit, chanting. And then it was the end of it. I was like, man, nothing really happened. But like there was this one dude... That tried to smash a fucking bank window and like a bunch of liberals popped out of nowhere and like swarmed his ass. And like, I don't know. I don't know if they citizens arrest him or if they like took him somewhere. And uh, some of these like some of these anarchists were sitting on the steps. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that manarchist over there, you know, remember he tried to smash a bank window. I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're a manarchist for trying to break a fucking window. Like there ain't nothing manly about breaking a window. We trying to get free. Like, what kind of shit is that? You know, (laughs) and that was the first time I ever heard that. I was like, man, I don't know. I guess I'm a manarchist because I want to break everything over here. You know? Yeah, no,
0: I get you. I like I completely agree with the whole social anarchist action. Like looking back on it, there's some videos from uh, my beginnings uh, back in 2016 up in Minneapolis just doing the most like cringy shit. But like that feeling <laughs> that you first get the first time you like the cops are in, uh, in gear and they're telling you to get out of the street and you say, fuck you like that shit's intoxicating. I don't care what anyone says. First time you get that <laughs> feeling, you're hooked on
4: that shit. And that's how they get you, man.
3: No, it's totally true. <laughs>
4: or what? Uh, the uh, cops almost broke the front of Brady's teeth out when they knocked him downstairs when they grabbed his backpack. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: I was, uh, I was at an action at the uh, Minnesota State Capitol building. Uh, There's some fucking anti-Sharia group inside the state capitol. Me being a dumbass, I was walking around with my face covered, not a backpack full of bricks that I was going to use to break them up and throw at <laughs> shit. The cop told me to take my mask off. I said, no, he Grabbed me by my backpack, swung me around and tossed me down seven steps. And I landed on my face. God damn. <laughs> yeah. I miss those days, man. I miss, I miss being an ANCOM. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's the good news. No, dude.
3: I mean, that, that's the thing though like a lot of people <laughs> so a lot of people assume that because I'm a nihilist I don't go to actions I'll fuck around with actions because I mean if, they're an oppor- if there's an opportunity for shit to happen like shit to really pop off I ain't doing nothing else I might as well go you know um, like, that's what it is like, for me too
0: at this point I'm like I'm just yeah. fucking bored like let me do something
3: like, yeah
4: shit, fucking punching cops say no more <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no ideology behind it. It's just, you know, I think that sounds kind of fun to do. You know, I'll show yeah. up. <laughs> it's like shit, I don't I don't drink. The the next best thing is obviously assaulting police officers. That's the that's the logical end. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean if you think about it right, and and you know, kind of in that description that I sent you earlier about Warzone, is that like you know, there's this, there's this other thing that left us do a lot, and I totally fell in with this on multiple occasions. Actually, it, was, it, was, it defined a lot of my very early experience, where, like, we would go to these really intense marches and chant and get all that kind of anger out through, like, vocalizing it, which was really, you know, it felt good. But then we would go home And I remember every time a demonstration was over with and people started breaking up and going home, I remember getting so depressed because I was like, man, I don't want to go home, though, because then I got to go back to work. I got to go back to, like, this normal-ass routine. And that's the thing. Like, everything about life is war. You know, it's just so normalized. And there's so many, like, consumerist distractions that, like, we have been tricked into thinking that it is okay That it's totally cool for these arm motherfuckers to ride around in cars who can shoot us at any given time just because they've been appointed by laws and all kinds of bullshit like that to do so, you know? And I've always thought of it like any opportunity that I have, I'm going to want to fuck shit up, you know? Sometimes it's more practical, sometimes it's not. Or sometimes more practical than other times. But like yeah, that's the thing. Like, just because, you know, I don't like try to organize, I don't get all like, Ooh, let's organize a May Day. I'll still go to one if it's lit, you know, who knows? It just depends on what I got going on. You know, my time's valuable. So, you know, I try mm-hmm. to kind of assess it that way, you know, I yeah. definitely relate with that
0: though. Like the feelings that I would get, uh, like even working still and trying to get myself out to actions. It's like, Man, I really got to be begging my fucking boss to let me have a day off so I can go do anarchist shit. Like that <laughs> fucking that's so fucking lame, right?
4: And you guys mentioned it a little bit um, uh, previously and just throughout the podcast, but we haven't really talked about it too much. Is the the meaning and the application of straight edge and veganism to you guys and to war the Warzone itself, like? I mean, some people, they hear straight edge, and they just assume, like, policing. Like, I just had a conversation with someone, they're like, straight edge only serves for black people to police other black people. And I thought that was the fucking worst take I've ever heard in my life. So, (laughs) if you want to, you know, hit on
3: that a little bit, I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, sure. Um, I think each of us have our own unique experiences with that, but... um... Mm -hmm. I'll just go over mine really quick. Basically, um, I grew up in an environment that was just saturated with intoxication. And instead of being part of it, instead of like, you know, subscribing to the whole like, oh, yeah, be cool with us. Some smoke a cigarette behind the school or something. I was more just kind of observing everything and just seeing how people were so miserable and traumatized by civilization, and schooling, and all that shit, and just society, poverty, that they would destroy their bodies in order to find any bit of pleasure, escapism, through intoxication. And I wasn't making a judgment call about that as much as I was realizing, man, what is causing people to feel this way in the first place. Like what's causing people to get involved with drugs and like, you know, drug cartels and rings and shit. And the other thing too, is um, a lot of people, a lot of people that I encountered thought that like straight edge, Oh, straight edges a white thing. Well, when you live in the hood and you're aware of how drug dealers can cap your entire family or how drug cartels can like take over your entire fucking town. You know, straight edge and radical sobriety means a totally different thing. You know, it means resisting and not empowering these type of people to dominate you. You know, I mean, if we're talking about anarchists against the government and shit, these motherfuckers were trying to be the government. They had arms. They had a state like configuration, you know, like
1: police is on their side. They can just bribe cops. Get judges to be on their side. They pretty much are like a little function state.
3: Yeah. And, you know, the police would always talk about war on drugs, but everybody in the hood knows that the police were dealing that shit out the back door. So while a lot of people were getting high, you know, and doing shit like that, I was just like, man, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to participate in it because I'm saying, like, fuck all those people. But I'm also being sober because being sober in the hood, a lot of people came up to me and were like, man, one day I want to be sober like you, man, like. Help me out, you know, and I was just like, yeah, if you ever want to hang out, you ever want to come to my place and just chill and not have to worry about being like tempted by anything that you're struggling with. Like, you know, let's hang out, you know, let's do this, you know. And so that was a big that was like a big inspiration for me to like see being sober as a weapon, not against people in my hood, but against the state, against society and everything that uses intoxication to pacify and distract people.
2: Yeah. Uh And on top of all of that, at least for me, it was a pretty personal thing that, you know, I I never, you know, did any drugs or anything like that. But I drank. And, uh, you know, the first time when I was, you know, already, you know, kind of into anarchy and the first time I was, you know, in a bar, loudly telling a stranger about the illegal things I had done, I kind of realized those things weren't really compatible for me.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) 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 Weird. No,
4: that would be a little... Yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Shouting it from from across the bar saying, like, you want to hear this totally cool thing I did? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please, uh, put that in.
1: <sighs> I had a similar like uh, background for why I am straight edge as Flower Bomb. Um, but like I've always had my the way I've treated straight-edge um, besides my little this little stint with hardline, um, is I uh, I don't hate, I think it's a really common misconception that I will hate you for doing drugs or drinking, and I don't. And I have so many friends who drink and uh, do um, hard drugs and stuff like in the, in the traveling community mostly.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've spent a lot of time volunteering at needle exchanges, I have Narcan with me, I'm mailing some to someone soon, um, and I it's. I don't hate the individual. I hate what causes people to turn to drugs.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. for real. Absolutely.
1: And that's mm-hmm. my prim- my primary focus with why I'm straight edge and I identify with radical sobriety is um, to attack the the systems and the institutions that cause people to want to escape from this reality and uh-huh. from yeah. the suffering. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
4: yeah, yeah, it's totally. a conversation talking about sort of you touched on it ever so slightly like harm reduction. I had a conversation mm-hmm. the same one that they said like it straight edge is just policing like poor communities is they were saying they they said something along the lines of I prefer harm reduction to straight edge by a million. I was like, but that's a really shitty dichotomy because of how often the two interlink, especially yeah. in like, marginalized groups who pioneers yeah. those. Those harm reduction facilities, especially when they're mm-hmm. grassroots not state-funded, are people who are straight-edge.
2: So yeah. I don't...
4: That's a really shitty dichotomy to to draw up, is as if those two things are necessarily at odds. Because they're like, no, well, straight-edge people fucking hate drug users. So I was like, who who are you talking to?
3: Yeah, is I was there- about to be like, who the fuck is... <laughs> who, who are they talking about? Like... <laughs>
4: And they're like intention um, doesn't matter i was like but there's action i don't know again i don't know who you're talking to or if you're just trying to be edgy because every time i bring up the yeah i'm straight edge you're like oh but you're missing art then they they shove it down your throat oh i fucking smoke i'm like okay do i am i supposed to like argue with you or something is that what you're asking me to do are you trying to antagonize me they just get people <laughs> there are certain types of people that like when they hear straight edge, they just draw up these observations that in my mind, in my experience, I've never met people like that. Never once in my life. I might have met mm-hmm. someone like that once, but they weren't even straight edge. They just hate hated people that like did drugs. Because I think being mm-hmm. sober and being straight edge are two different things in my in my view. Like there's a culture to one, and the other one is just who you are. You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know a lot more people who say like drink and smoke who hate drug users than i know yeah. straight edge people who hate drug users
4: yeah and so it's not like those pe- pieces of shit in every circle don't exist but it's like people who just have this like you said like the idea that they're white a lot of the time which it's funny because ex- now in my experience after meeting you guys said like majority of people who are straight edge
3: aren't white to me in, in my
4: experience oh uh, yeah
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really fucking mind-blowing, and it, it really makes me upset sometimes because, like, I know in Mexico, there's a lot of fucking straight-edge people out there, and I yeah. mean, that's a direct result and a direct response to, like, the impact that drug cartels out there have, but yeah. I mean, just in general, like... Yeah, there's a there's a lot of different kind of straight edge people. And I mean, I'm not I shouldn't actually say that, like, nobody is on some like, oh, I hate everyone that drinks or smokes. I'm sure there's some people out no, there like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a monolith. But yeah, that's <laughs> but that's the thing about it, though, like. um I think, I think with, like, groupthink, right? We were talking about groupthink earlier. I think that when people find something that they hate, for example, individualists, oh, individualists, nihilists, oh, they, they actually cater the fascists. Oh, they're actually and caps. You know, it's just, like, people will say shit, and then other people will re- regurgitate it without okay. independently researching it, and then it just becomes a rumor mill that just goes round and round. And, like, I'm always telling people, like, yo, like, get to know people as an individual before you make identity-based assumptions about people like you know just like talk to people labels identities yeah these things help communicate sometimes but like it's better to just get to know somebody without making these kind of assumptions about them you know Mm -hmm. and i see a lot of people make assumptions about like straight edge and you know everything else you know same thing with Mm -hmm. veganism (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's y'all like, were y'all were interested. Oh, never mind.
4: I was gonna say, yeah, like bringing up the veganism aspect of it and the how those two yeah. interlink. In my experience, I, I keep saying in my experience, but you know, but it's like how many straight edge people are vegan, you know, vice versa because of the link between those two things historically as they grew out of punt, the punk, you know, the punk scene.
3: So yeah, um, so pretty much my story with being vegan is um i don't know i met somebody a long time ago and i was already vegetarian because i was i was kind of like trying to do the health thing and i was also politically just kind of fast food restaurants just cuz of the way they treat workers and shit and um somebody somebody you know just showed me some videos of what happens in slaughterhouses and the thing that was blowing my mind so hard was the fact that you know, these animals in slaughterhouses, they die every single day by the millions, and we don't really know, like, we don't really notice, we don't really hear about it, because it's intentionally silenced, you know, like, all we see is what capitalism delivers the end result, which is, like, these neat packages with smiling cows and laughing chickens and all this bullshit, and it's like, this is fake, like, this is not what's actually going on, so, like, I became vegan when I saw what was happening because it was more of like, man, fuck this shit, dude. Like, if I can eat other things and not have to eat these things to contribute even, like, you know, like monetary, like there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. But at the very least, I got a big-ass vegan tattoo on my leg. (laughs) I did that because I want people to ask me about veganism because at the very least I could do is I could challenge these like cultural and traditional anthropocentric norms that insist that it's totally cool for like human beings or, you know, the human animal to assume this human supremacist role and dominate, you know, control and literally consume these other beings, you know? And I mean, that was before I really got deep into anarchy. As I started to learn more about anarchy, it just made more and more sense. If I... You know, if I don't want people trying to dominate, you know, exploit or fuck with me, why the hell would I be inconsistent with that and try to dominate, you know, these other animals, you know what I mean? And then as I got into, like, green anarchy, I was like, man, this shit makes even more sense. They're just (laughs) as fucking enslaved as we are, you know, and you know, people, there's people talking about going back to hunter and gatherers. Like I ain't even trying to fucking hunt because that's the same concept. Like I'm trying to destroy the civilized concept of like speciesism and human domination on every level. Like I can get by, I can survive just fine on a plant-based diet. I don't need to dominate or consume them or fuck with their lives in any way. So that's kind of where I stand with my veganism. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. You wrote the, uh, the piece I'm blanking on the name of it. I apologize. Where you sort of, you know, you gave a really good explanation of veganism, nihilism, and anti-civ. I'm I'm blanking on the name of the essay or whatever, but uh, it's called. Want...
3: Yeah, it's called um, "What Savages We Must Be: Vegans Without Morality."
4: Yeah, and I think that's a good one for people to read. And there's a few different anti-civ vegan essays, and people are always like, oh, you know, if fucking. Post-collapse or whatever they want to say, in primitivism. How are you gonna get your plant-based diet or, or whatever, whatever? But it's like there's a few different answers to that. But all of the time, it's like just because someone is a like, for example, is is vegan now doesn't mean they even in you know your case is different means that they'll be vegan after or however you want to put it, right? That it's like it is just a critique one can have of the way we have food and sustenance now. Because we mm-hmm. exist in civilization and capitalism, there is also other shitty things that contribute to that, like the exploitation of entire species or really the entire biosphere. You know what I mean? So it's like people yeah. have such reduced, shitty arguments. And yeah, there have been like what you can call like vegan, like foraging societies. They're rare, but they existed. But it's more like anti-civ doesn't necessitate a return to the Paleolithic. It's about the creation of, of a world without civilization, however that creates itself. So to, yeah. like, when people start, like, adding these conditions, what about trans people? Well, you're trans, you're disabled, what about disabled people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's, well, the people see primitivism as this sort of, like, communist thing that we are establishing communism. We're not establishing <laughs> primitivism. It's a To me, <laughs> I think it's sort of similar to, like, communization. Uh, it as a process or as a as an individual or small group activity without a better word you know what I mean that primitivism isn't something that you create it's something that you do at least in me mm-hmm. or primitivism or anti-civ are inter- interchangeable to me so however you want to put that I mean that's a personal thing for me but when people start throwing out this stupid shit like well you're trans or you're vegan how do you do that it's like because I fucking can And I just did. (laughs) I don't have to explain shit to you. (laughs) It's it's the questions that come up when it comes to like veganism and all that in relation to primitivism are so mind boggling because you can tell people don't investigate and then they expect you to have to like Mm -hmm. explain it all in like a very understandable way without them reading anything. You know what I mean? And that's so mind boggling to me. And I think that is a big part of leftism that it's like, if it's not the mainstream ideologies of like, you know, Marxism, Leninism, social anarchism, et cetera, that like it's not worth investigating, but you better explain it to me and I better be able to understand it. <laughs> and
1: if yeah, I don't I think, it, go sorry.
2: on. Sorry. Uh, I, I was gonna say, you know, much much like conflict, I think, you know, like predation by humans is something that's going to happen, but mm-hmm. you know, won't be a systemic kind of thing. Um and <clears throat> you know, the 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 assertion that you know, we cannot, uh, go back to, or, you know, cannot have a, uh, a non-civilized, uh, you know, existence without, uh, without eating non-human animals is, uh, it it just, it's absurd. We have a friend, um, Ria Del Montana is her name. Um, and she is, uh, yeah, she's really knowledgeable on, you know, how that has worked in the past and, you know, how it is possible for, humans to live you know yeah. uh primarily plant-based uh yeah civilization
4: yeah montana yeah. and i wrote for the same publication like three years ago for united green oh. alliance so that's how i know i know them through through that we didn't have a whole lot of communication but i yeah i thought they're they're sort of vegan you know i think vegan anarchism or veganarchy is like the coolest fucking thing in terms of like aesthetic and like the fact that it is literally like extremely consistent whereas like anarchists mm-hmm. like end all oppression except for animals and, and the biosphere
3: <laughs> and, and civilization and you know what i mean that I, oh like, my god for real like it's, that that was the other reason why i ended up abandoning leftism altogether is motherfuckers kept trying to tell me oh you know but but we got to worry about the factors. We- factories. We have to, like, worry about, like, you know, reproducing society after collapse first. It's like, hell no, it's going to keep fucking up the environment. There ain't going to be shit left anyways. Like, like
2: veganism is anti-indigenous. and. <laughs> oh, God,
3: yeah, that fucking wacky ass shit. I mean, Speaking of indigenous there, I vegan. White, I think white <laughs> veganism
4: is pretty anti-indigenous, just like veganism itself is not because again i think almost veganism can be seen also alongside as a lifestyle can also be seen as an analysis of systemic control but uh, to Mm -hmm. me and i think uh you know one of you also kind of touched on it that it's like yeah predation might continue but it's it's sort of like conflict like you said um Conflict between individuals versus conflict against the individual versus the state are not the same thing. They are not comparable. Just the same way that factory farming or really farming in general with animals is at all comparable to, like, a small group of people hunting in their ecosystem. They're not comparable subjects, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So Because the domination of the biosphere is not the same as humans being within the biosphere, you know? Exactly. As long as when we try to, like, think ourselves above it, even though we're not, it comes to such shitty conclusions and actions and leftism is incapable of breaking with that. And I think, and I hate to bring him up so much, but we we haven't actually really brought him up at all. Uh, Ted, when Ted said like leftists will never be able to like let go of technology because that means letting go of control of others. And I'm like, damn, Mm. you right (laughs) though.
3: No, no, it's totally true. Like, and that's, you know, that's the other thing too. Like a lot of, uh, whenever people bring up like veganism and anti civ you know, there's a difference between people that are actually just curious and, you know, will ask me, well, how does this, you know, how will this happen? There's that. But then when people make these assumptions like, oh no, you know, like we can't be vegan. We have to go back to this. All it really does is it goes to show how civilized, how disconnected we are from the environment. Like we can't, we, okay, so like, nutrients you know i'm not a nutritionist or anything like that but like they say we eat animals you know because we're trying to get our protein and b12 vitamins and shit but the thing is these animals don't concentrate these vitamins you know they're just they're they're merely like secondhand type shit mm-hmm. all of the nutrients that you know people claim that we need animals to survive from it's plants it's all plants and it's like We got so many different plants in the world, but people, especially leftists, don't think about this because they're so conditioned to think in terms of technological industrial society, highways, grocery stores, monocropping, you know, shit like that, you know? And it's like, that's, that's like another personal aim of mine is to um, relearn all these edible plants and shit. And just kind of like reconnect in that way, you know, because I feel like, you know, if it's true, civilization's going to collapse and shit, then yeah, we need to be ready for that shit. We need to know how to survive without grocery stores and processed foods and shit, you know. I think
4: ethnobotany is like the coolest shit, like knowing the many uses of plants beyond just consumption, especially medical or even in terms of like constructing, you know, be it weapons or shelters is so cool. Like the different rewilding um, programs, like rewilding Portland is really cool. That they talk about that stuff, and it's so I won't say it's easy, but there's given the you know access to books online or libraries, it is easy to get into. I think, especially mm-hmm. when you start learning your local ecosystem, and I think that's a big part. Like maybe not necessarily the idea of bioregionalism, but when someone is more in tune with their quote natural environment outside of the highways and grocery stores like you talked about. But when you go, not only do you go for a hike or you know, you camp out. It's about being aware of your surroundings and what they are, what the use of it is to itself and to you. I think that's incredibly fascinating. And I think that some leftism really leaves out quite often because it has more of a concern with, quote, the masses rather than individual
3: knowledge and power. And I think that's the failure of leftism.
2: Yeah, definitely.
3: For sure. Yeah. So that's, you know, not to take time away from anyone else but that's how I got into veganism really Mm -hmm. and if you two
4: if the other two of you want to talk about that or if you want to move on or fuck it we can end it if you want because we're put we just pushed an hour and I'm really liking what we're talking about because I think this is stuff that we've wanted to talk about but never had the experience to do so so it's really cool hearing all your guys' stories because I think it gives it a lot more validity
2: Yeah. I mean, personally, I got into, I mean, the way I got into veganism was, you know, kind of boring. I, you know, I was raised lacto-ovo vegetarian and I think fairly young, I kind of, you know, when I, when I became aware of the concept of veganism, I kind of had it in my head, like, yeah, I'm going to have to do this eventually. Um, And, you know, just, just from a young age, kind of just being raised with that, like, yeah, animals have feelings and, you know, they, They have their own shit to do (laughs) and uh, don't, you know, they're not they're not put here for us. Um, It wasn't really a big adjustment to be like, they're not put here for us for, you know, any reason, you know, not just being killed for food. Um, And yeah, pretty easy. (laughs) Happy.
1: Mine was very, like, simple. It was like uh, I was just very into hardcore shout out to gather total liberation, (laughs) very eye opening song for me. Um, and that was pretty much it I was just like listening to lots of hardcore bands who like talked about veganism and then like looking uh, I was also very uh, very into Crust still am a lot and um, I remember there was a band it was just some like local band but they had uh, the lyric sheet came with a zine and the zine had like uh, talked about veganism on it and like links to websites and that was just kind of how I was introduced to it
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and that was pretty good for me
3: Yeah, I think leftists have a difficult time uh, really seeing how, like, veganism, anti-speciesism, and, like, anti-anthropocentrism are relevant to anarchy and to getting free because they still see themselves in terms of humanism. And humanism is an identity and a role that we, like, embrace and perform in order to maintain our own status of supremacy over nature Mm
2: -hmm. it's a civilized
3: concept and that's another thing i take into consideration whenever i'm talking about like nihilist feral you know anti-civ you know anarchy is that seeing myself not as a human being but seeing myself as an animal that's been conditioned to think that i'm superior to others And being vegan for me is a rejection of that and recognizing that like other animals, I'm also enslaved and I'm not trying to perpetuate their own identity statuses as commodities for consumption.
4: Yeah, I think what you kind of touched on reminded me of this essay I read years ago. It was like a vegan egoism piece, and it's basically veganism is the utmost ability to acknowledge the egos of other living creatures. And I thought that was really interesting is they sort of fused egoism and self-realization with veganism. And I'd have to find that, that essay. I don't even know where I read it, but I thought it was really interesting. That put a lot into perspective for me. And while I'm self, myself am not vegan due to current living issues or conditions or whatever, it's something I want to strive to. And I've, I've made efforts to reduce meat consumption. Uh, I've, Try to not have dairy anymore because I actually just developed like a lactose intolerance, which sort of makes things easier. I don't want to fucking have the shits at two in the morning because I drink some milk. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm slowly getting pushed in that direction. And then talking to people, especially Happy, uh, and other people like that, it sort of made things make a lot more sense and give me more of like a reason to to adapt veganism. And it's something I definitely, as I'm moving away, I'm transferring colleges. Actually, in like eight days. So I'm hoping that when I'm over there, I can start moving to at least a vegetarian diet for the time and then, you know, move to veganism because I think to be consistent with what I believe, I sort of need to be vegan, if that makes sense. And as I'm not, it sort of fucks with me. So I, I feel like yeah. I should start making those moves.
3: Hell yeah. Yeah. You got this. Yeah. Yeah. Just... I
4: think honestly, a good thing to
0: end on would be like, um, if you guys have any resources that you'd recommend for people looking into a uh, straight edge or veganism or anything like that, definitely send some links to us and we can uh, throw everything in the description. I'm, I've been looking into veganism for a little while as well, but you know, i I'm a very impulsive person and I've been struggling. So any resources out there would definitely be helpful to me as well. For sure. Yeah,
3: great.
0: Oh yeah. Awesome. Well, I think after this entire hour conversation, I didn't even feel like it went that long. I think we touched on a lot <laughs> of stuff. So I really appreciate you guys coming on. We're definitely going to link all your shit in the video. And we'd definitely like to have you guys back on another time if, if all of you are able to do that. So thank you so much for coming on.
3: Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for having, having us. us,
0: yo. Yeah, awesome. So I hope everyone has a nice night and uh, we'll see you next time.
3: Bye.